Betsy and Tacy go over the big hill by Maud Hart Lovelace. Chapter Eight: Little Syria. When Betsy, Tacy, and Tib started out next morning, Julia and Katie were sitting on the raised side lawn making streamers. It was a shining morning. The rose bush under the dining room window was covered with yellow roses, which gave out a spicy smell. Julia and Katie were having a good time, twisting. Ah, page turn. Twisting pink and green paper and making plans for Julia's coronation, they were very good-natured, for they were sure that Julia had won. Going for a picnic, Julia called kindly as Betsy, Tacy, and Tib went past with their basket. Might as well, Betsy answered, trying to sound glum. You can get the Ekstroms' votes while you're up on the big hill, reminded Katie. That's so, Tacy replied. Try to make your backs look discouraged," Betsy whispered, and she and Tacy and Tib all let their shoulders sag. Tib gave a loud sniff as though she were crying. Tacy put her arm around Tib's shoulder. Julia and Katie looked after the three forlorn figures, and suspicion arose in their faces. "They're up to something," Katie said firmly. "Never mind," said Julia. "They couldn't get enough votes. Nobody lives up on the big hill except the Ekstroms." That's right," Katie said. She and Julia went back to twisting streamers. Betsy, Tacy, and Tib trudged on up the hill. Their backs drooped in sadness, but their faces were wide with smiles. "They'll be plenty surprised when we come home," said Tacy, as they climbed past the ridge where wild roses were in bloom. The air was freshly sweet with the smell of these blossoms. Flat, pink, and golden-centered, they clambered everywhere. The grass was full of country cousins of the flowers down in Hill Street Gardens. There were wild geraniums and wild sweet peas and wild morning glories. Betsy, Tacy, and Tib picked bouquets and gave them to Mrs. Ekstrom when they offered her their petition. Mrs. Ekstrom put on her spectacles to read it. Queens, eh? She said. How do you get so interested in kings and queens? I thought we left kings and queens behind in the old country. But in spite of her teasing, she signed her name. She signed it with pen and ink. Betsy, Tacy, and Tib went on through the shadowy secret lane, past the mystery house, down through a fold in the hills, and up again. They came out as usual on the high rocky point which overlooked the now familiar valley. They felt as though it belonged to them, this wide green hammock stretching from sky to sky. They gazed on it with pride, for never had it looked so lovely as it looked now, clothed in summer green. Thickly leaved trees almost concealed Mr. Meacham's mansion and the row of little houses, but the rooftops were visible. Tib counted them. There are thirteen, she said. Is our paper long enough, Betsy, for all the names we'll get? I brought an extra sheet, said Betsy, just to be sure. They ate their picnic quickly. Tucked their petition and pencil into the empty basket, and started down the slope. They descended boldly, yet with fast-beating hearts. Well, they knew they were not supposed to be going to Little Syria alone on foot. They passed the clump of wild plum trees where they had picnicked with Nafi, and looked about for the goat, but it was nowhere to be seen. I'm glad Nafi lives there," said Tacy. It was good to think of a friend awaiting them in the strange place to which they were going. I wonder whether she's learned to speak English yet," said Tib. Probably a little by this time," said Betsy. 
Papa says it's wonderful how the Syrians get ahead. Their feet were now on the path leading down to the settlement. It was just a row of small houses facing that eastern hill which Bessie, Tacy, and Tib were cautiously descending. They were ramshackle houses, much in need of paint. Here were no well-tended lawns or flower gardens as on Hill Street, just sun-baked dirt-yards and morning-glories twining over a few of the porches. There were vegetable gardens, however. People were working in them, and their voices rose, loud and harsh, speaking in a foreign tongue. "'I wonder which house old Bouchara lives in,' said Tacy nervously. "'Let's go first to Mr. Meacham's. He can speak English,' Betsy said. They left the path and walked along the hillside parallel to the street. Mr. Meacham's mansion faced west, so they came upon it from the rear. It did not look hospitable. The buildings and grounds were enclosed in a high iron fence with spikes along the top. Moreover, it was studded with signs which said bluntly, "'No trespassing. Keep out.' The fence was freshly painted and in excellent repair. Inside it, however, everything looked shabby and untidy. The big white barn with lightning-rod atop, the carriage-house and woodshed needed paint as badly as the Syrian houses did. A broken wagon and some rusted tools lay in the barnyard. "'Mr. Meacham doesn't seem to take much interest in anything but his fence,' said Tib, peeking through the narrow iron bars. "'I wish we could see his white horses,' said Tacy. "'I don't believe they're there,' said Betsy. "'The carriage-house door is open, and there's no carriage inside.' "'Let's go around to the front gate,' said Tib. They followed the high iron fence around to the street. The empty sunlit valley stretched away to the south, and the dusty street of little houses stretched away to the north. No one was in sight except some children playing, and a young man who was chopping wood near the small house opposite. Betsy, Tacy, and Tib stared at Mr. Meacham's gate. It was closed, and looked forbidding. Within, though, a weedy, overgrown, overgrown lawn, an avenue... <laughs> whoops! Within, through a weedy, overgrown lawn, an avenue of evergreen trees led the way to the house. "'Those evergreens,' said Tacy, "'remind me of a cemetery.' "'Maybe we shouldn't bother with Mr. Meacham's vote,' suggested Betsy." "'Why not?' asked Tib. "'Well, there are some more of those no-trespassing signs.' "'We're not trespassers. We're callers,' said Tib. And, swinging her body lightly, as she did when she was gathering courage, she lifted the latch. It opened, and she stepped inside. Betsy and Tacy followed, but none of them liked it when the gate, with a loud clang, shut behind them. The avenue of evergreen trees was like a tunnel.' As Betsy, Tacy, and Tib walked slowly into its aromatic darkness, they seemed to leave behind all the brightness of the sweet June day. "'I wonder,' said Tacy, "'whether Mr. Meacham really cares who's queen.' "'Probably,' said Betsy. "'He doesn't care a bit.' "'Well, we care,' said Tib. They kept on going forward. The grey brick house had tall, arched windows, which looked like suspicious eyes. It was shabby and unkempt. Ragged clumps of honeysuckle fell over the doorway, but its penetrating sweetness seemed to be wasted. The windows were all closed, and the shades pulled down. Betsy and Tacy looked at each other, but before either one could think of an excuse for turning back, Tib had tripped up to the door. 
She pulled the rusty iron bell. A peal resounded hollowly within. "'Nobody's home. We might as well go away,' said Betsy, after a quarter of a second. "'Maybe somebody's home,' said Tib, and pulled the bell again. "'Don't bother to ring,' said Tasty hastily. "'Don't bother to ring,' said Tasty hastily. "'I'm sure nobody's home.' But somebody was at home. At that moment a large, dirty, ugly-looking dog swept around the house. Barking furiously, he took his stand in the driveway. Even Tib looked dismayed for a moment. Tacy stepped forward, for she liked dogs, and they usually liked her. "'Here, doggy. Good doggy. Nice doggy,' said Tacy. But the dog did not seem to like being called doggy. He stood on stiff, angry legs, his head outthrust, looking big as a horse. He showed his fangs and barked louder than ever. "'We'd better run,' said Tib. They took to their heels, and the dog ran in pursuit." Never had sunlight looked so welcome as that bright arch which showed the end of the avenue of evergreens. Rushing ahead of Tib, the dog reached the gate first. He barked so angrily that Tib did not dare to touch the latch. "'Climb!' she cried, heading for the fence at the left of the gate. She was carrying the basket, and she threw it over. Then she caught at the crosswise bar and pulled herself up. Betsy and Tacy tried to do the same. They did it. They got to the top with the dog at their heels, and slid down the outer side. But Betsy's dress and petticoats caught on the spikes. She hung like a scarecrow. Tacy and Tib would have rescued her in time, but they did not have to try. The man who had been chopping wood ran across the street. He lifted her down in a twinkling, and set her on the ground. Tacy and Tib helped to smooth down her skirts. They were not too badly torn. "'Th-th thank you,' said Betsy." "'You're welcome. Don't mention it,' the young man answered. His speech had a foreign twist, but they could understand him. He had thick black hair like a cap, and a dark, merry face. "'What are you three little girls doing here?' he asked. "'We're out for votes,' said Tib. "'Votes? For what?' "'For Queen,' said Tib. She found the basket, pulled out the list, and handed it to him. The young man looked perplexed. He glanced at the paper." "'Tib?' he said. "'Which one is Tib?' "'I am,' said Tib, looking at him with a smile. "'And is one of you Betsy, and one Tacy?' he asked. "'Yes. How did you know?' Striding, striding across the narrow street, he called loudly, "'Nafy!' He turned back, smiling. "'I am Nafy's father,' he said, and I am very glad to meet the three little girls who were so kind to her. Betsy, Tacy, and Tib were gladder than he was. A little girl ran out of the house. At first they did not think it was Nafy, for she wore quite an ordinary short dress like their own, and ordinary shoes and stockings. But she had Nafy's earrings, and her long dancing braids, and her dancing eyes, and her dimples. Nafy stood smiling at them, and they at her. Her father had never stopped smiling. The place where they stood in the road was warm with smiles. Nafi's father spoke first in Syrian, then in English. "'These are your friends, my heart, my eyes,' he ended. Nafi answered in Syrian. "'Speak English,' he said. "'You know you can speak it a little, and you are learning fast.' "'She is now a little American girl,' he said to Betsy, Tacy, and Tib. 
she does not wear any more the old country clothes to be teased by bad boys. If she had a mother, she might have changed them quicker. But I am only a father. I am stupid. When her mother died, I came here from Syria, and left Nafi behind. I and my father came, and Nafi stayed with my mother. But this year, when we earned money enough, we sent for them. <clears throat> Pushing Nafi gently, he said, "'Take your friends inside to your grandmother, my little love, my eyes.' Betsy whispered to Tacy, "'My eyes. Isn't that a funny pet name?' "'Well,' said Tacy thoughtfully, "'there is nothing more important than your eyes, "'and I guess that's what he means when he gives that pet name to Nafi.' <clears throat> "'They followed Nafi across the narrow porch "'and entered the parlour of her house. "'It had chairs, a table, a carpet,' and a lamp hanging by chains from the ceiling. It was almost like any other parlour, and yet not quite. A low bench with pillows on it ran around the walls, and a bony old man, wearing a round red cap with a tassel, sat on the floor, cross-legged, smoking a pipe. It was a curious-looking pipe. It stood on the floor, more than a foot high. A long tube led away from it, ending in the old man's mouth. "'That is a nargile,' said Nafi's father, noticing their interest. "'He draws smoke through water, and it makes the sound you hear. "'You Americans call it a hubble-bubble pipe.' "'It was, in fact, making a sound like hubble-bubble. "'He is Nafi's grandfather,' Nafi's father said. "'The old man took his pipe out of his mouth and said, "'How, how you do?' and smiled. "'He had strong white teeth, as though he were not old at all. Nafi led them on to the kitchen, which was just behind the parlour, and here an old lady was sitting on the floor. She was sitting in front of a hollowed-out block of marble, in which she was pounding something with a mallet. "'She is making kibby,' explained Nafi's father. "'That is meat she is pounding. It is good lean lamb. She is Nafi's grandmother,' he said. He spoke to the grandmother in Syrian, and she got to her feet. She was a tiny old lady, with a brown withered face like a nut.' She wore earrings, and the same sort of long, full-skirted dress that Nafi had worn the first time they saw her. She could not say even, "'How you do?' in English, but she made them welcome with excited gestures. Betsy, Tacy, and Tib looked with all their eyes. Nafi led them out of the kitchen into the sunny backyard. The goat was tethered there. "'Goat,' said Nafi. "'Goat, goat!' <coughs> <coughs> She laughed, and they all laughed, remembering the English lesson. The goat looked at them with wise, mischievous eyes. He seemed to remember he had stolen their basket. The grandmother came hurrying out with a glass jar in her hand. She opened it and passed it about. Betsy, Tacy, and Tib helped themselves to raisins. Raisin, said Nafi, holding one aloft. Then the grandfather appeared, standing, he was even more amazing than sitting, for he was very tall. He wore full trousers, gathered at the ankles, and he had not doffed his red betasseled cap. He shouted loudly, and the grandmother ran into the house. She came back with a second glass jar, which she opened and passed. This one was full of dried figs. "'Figs,' said Nafi, proudly, smiling. The grandfather looked pleased, and so did the grandmother. So did Nafi's father, who joined them, and so did Nafi. When they had finished eating raisins and figs, Nafi's father said, 
Now, tell me about this paper you have brought. What is it you want? Betsy explained about the election, and he listened seriously. I do not think, he said, that queens are good to have, but Tib is my nafie's friend. If she wants my vote, here it is. Taking the pencil, he wrote his name carefully. He wrote from right to left. He explained the matter in Syrian to the grandfather, the grandmother, and Nafi. And the grandfather signed the list. The grandmother signed the list. And Nafi signed the list. They all wrote from right to left. Afterward, Nafi's father talked a long time in Syrian. He talked in a loud, harsh voice, but not an angry one, waving his arms. The grandfather, the grandmother, and Nafi all talked too. All of them waved their arms and acted excited. There was a pause. Then Nafi's father smiled at Betsy, Tacy, and Tib and said in English, Nafi will take you to all our friends and neighbors. All of them will sign, those who can write. You three little girls were kind to my little girl, and the Syrians will sign your paper. It was an adventure getting the votes. With Nafi guiding them, Betsy, Tacy, and Tib went to every one of the little Syrian houses. They went into parlors, kitchens, gardens. They saw people drinking coffee, poured from long-handled copper pots into tiny cups. They saw women baking flat round loaves of bread, such as Nafi had eaten the day they picnicked together, and other women making embroidery and men playing cards. They saw a boy playing a long reed flute, a munjaira, Nafi said it was. They saw everything there was to be seen, and they met everyone, and everyone signed. Most of them wrote from right to left. I wonder why they write from right to left, said Tib. That is Arabic writing, one of the Syrians explained. The Syrian language is Arabic. Most of them spoke and understood English, but some of them did not. There was much loud, harsh talk, but now Betsy and Tacy and Tib understood that that was just the sound of the Syrian language. There was much excited gesturing, stamping, and running about. But now they understood that that was only the Syrian way. The houses were crowded, for sometimes more than one family lived in a house. There were many children in every family, too. The paper was soon filled with names. They had to use the extra paper. Betsy was glad she had brought it. At last, all the people in the settlement had signed. It was time to go home. Betsy and Tacy and Tib were ready to start. They had said goodbye to Nafi's tall grandfather and her tiny wrinkled grandmother, to her merry father with his black hair like a cap, to Nafi and the goat. They had said thank you for the raisins and figs and were just stepping off the porch when they heard cries up the street. Looking in that direction, they saw Syrian children scrambling out of the road. They saw a cloud of dust and heard the thud of hooves. A team of glossy white horses flashed into view. They were driven by a coachman who wore a plug hat like a coachman in a parade. A glittering open carriage swayed along the narrow street. Betsy, Tacy, and Tib glimpsed a white beard, a black veil. Here were Mr. Meacham and his daughter. The carriage stopped at Mr. Meacham's gate, and the coachman sprang down. He unlatched the gate and was about to ascend to his seat when Tib darted forward. Please, Mr. Meacham, she said. Will you sign my petition so I can be queen? Eh, what? asked Mr. Meacham. He sounded as though he could not believe his ears. His bearded face was stern and scornful. His daughter did not lift her veil, but she leaned forward curiously. 
Tibbs stood in the road beside the carriage, the sun on her yellow curls. "'I want to be queen,' she said, handing him the paper. Mr. Meacham read the petition. He looked at Tibb, and at Betsy and Tacy, and above the snowy Niagara of his beard a smile began to form. Mr. Meacham took out a gold pencil. "'I'll sign with the greatest of pleasure,' he said. And he signed, and so did his daughter, and so did his coachman. Betsy, Tacy, and Tibb climbed the hill in a glow of satisfaction. "'Wasn't it lovely?' Betsy sighed. "'Wasn't it nice?' said Tacy. "'I like little Syria,' said Tibb. "'I always said I—' She stopped without finishing her sentence. She whirled around and looked toward the valley. "'Where?' she demanded. "'Was old Bushara?' "'Where, indeed?' They looked down on the thirteen rooftops over which the sun of afternoon was extending long golden arms. They had been in every one of those thirteen little houses, and had met with nothing but gaiety and kindness. They had not seen a sign of old Bushara and his knife. "'He must live in a den somewhere,' said Betsy. "'I wonder where,' said Tacy, looking behind her. "'He must have been out peddling,' said Tib. "'That's what most of the Syrians do for a living. They go out with horses and buggies, or take satchels on their backs.' "'Of course, that was where he was.' "'Oh, well,' said Tib. We have, we have votes enough already. Votes enough, said Betsy. If you're not queen, I'd like to know the reason why. Won't Julia and Katie be mad, said Tacy. They climbed triumphantly, thinking how mad Julia and Katie would be. End of chapter 8. Read by Kara Schallenberg, www.kray.org, on Friday, September 9th, 2016, in Union City, California.